Uh, it's good to see everyone this morning. I'm really looking forward to our time together. It's been just so good to sit and to be reminded this morning of the way that God has been active within our community. And even just thank you, John, for leading us in this time of worship this morning. There's something about entering into our time together as a community with the Lord uh, in song. Uh, my daughter reminds me of that. When she wakes up, she sings. That's just what she does. Uh, Christmas songs was what was on the agenda for this morning, um, which are stuck in Mary and I's head. But, uh, so if I break out and jingle bells, it's totally normal. Um, but this morning, I want to begin with a picture. And uh, I, I really found that there's a, a few weeks ago, we took some folks from Renew to the art museum. And we had a day of prayer at the art museum. So you think that's a little bit strange, um, but it was a really good opportunity to, to allow our eyes to fixate on something long enough to allow to impact our hearts. And so this is a picture that was not at the art museum, uh, so we can get it up. Um, but I just wanted to take a minute and uh, I'll get out of your way and just prayerfully observe the picture. Uh, maybe a question to ask is, what is this prompting my heart to? What do I sense about God and his character? How does this convict me? Let's just spend a minute with it. I want to open this up for a little bit of discussion. What, what are some things that you experience or sense or maybe your heart was led to just as you look at this image? You can just shout it out. Take them off now. That's fine. Go ahead. You can. There we go. You got sandals on. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I, I, this 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 image is uh, shocking to me. Um, yeah. And I, I center in on the shoes. I'm not really a shoe wearer to begin with, but there's something significant about taking off your shoes. Uh, I think. I think about when God invited Moses into a holy space of a burning bush. He says, "Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground." I don't think it was because your shoes are weird and dirty. I think it's because it's time to rest and stay a while. I think it's an invitation. There's something about when you show up at someone's home and they say, take off your shoes. My, my wife is a shoe taker offered person. But what I've learned about that is because she has a hospitable heart. She wants you to stay. 
It's hard to run away from a house when you don't have shoes on, <laughs> right? Um, I want us to do another exercise. So this is something that I've become very accustomed of, uh, being someone who suffers from AFib. Uh, I've been away from AFib, which is your heart beats really fast and crazy. Uh, you take your two fingers and you stick them right up underneath next to your, right, right up here underneath your chin. And just take a minute and feel for your heartbeat. Just ponder that for a moment. Some of you may be thinking, my heart's not beating, what should I do? <laughs> I think there's one of those machines around here somewhere we can pull out. But what you're noticing, keep, you keep your fingers there for a minute, what you're noticing is your heart has a two-part rhythm. It has a beat and a rest. A beat and a rest. You feel the beat, right? Boom, 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 boom. What you don't feel is the rest. So it's, it's, it's fascinating. So it's really cool. God designs life. As we think about, um, I love thinking about the way God creates, he's created order, the world he creates, right? He created day. And so we think about day, we think about just this beautiful picture of being outside. The light illuminates things. It's busy. If anyone's ever been in the woods at the first thing, at the crack of dawn, you hear, right, the little birds start chirping first. And then you start hearing the rustling of the squirrels. And then slowly but surely, other things begin to get busy and they hurry and they scurry and they do their thing. Sure, there's weird animals that stay up all night, like owls and deer and things like that. But I love how the world comes alive as the day dawns. And we think about night. Most of us, when we enter into nighttime, we close our eyes and we sleep. For thousands of years, pre-electricity, night was the time when our candles would only burn so so far, so long, and at some point in time, we had to call it a day. We think about the way the seasons shape us. The hustle and the bustle of spring. Flowers bursting forth. There is imagery and beauty and busyness all around. You know, we, we think about terms like the busy bees. And they're pollinating all these flowers and running stuff back to the hive. They're moving. The animals are chasing around. Their mates trying to find them. It's a busy season. Spring is crazy. There's so much life that we see come forth. But then when we contrast it to winter... There's nothing. It's quiet. It's still. It's restful. There's nothing like walking out in the middle of a snowstorm and trying to yell as loud as you can. It's like the snow just blankets the activity. We think about the tides. They ebb and they flow and they move from all these different directions. You know, twice a day... The high tide comes in, and then the tide rolls out, and it becomes low tide. And so life is like this. Life has this two-part rhythm, this active and rest, active and rest, active and rest. And this is a God design. Because if we look at the created world around us, if we look at the natural theology, what we see and what we observe around us, there's two-part rhythm to life. There's two-part rhythm to day and night. There's two-part rhythm to morning and evening to seasons. That's a four-part rhythm, but we're going to call it a two-part for the sake of this morning. Active activity, 
and rest. Activity and rest. We think about our heart, a pulse and a rest. A pulse and a rest. So what happens when our heartbeat gets out of whack? It just goes, and guess what? This is a shocker, but your heart can't sustain that kind of workload. It just doesn't work that way. I think God has intention in these rhythms, this two-part rhythm of work and rest. Um, and I say all this because a few weeks ago, um, Ben led us in a time when we were at the park of experiencing what rest and refreshment looks like. And so as we thought about that, one of the questions that I had coming out and that I continue to hear is, man, I, I wish I learned or knew more like how to rest. I find my life so busy and active. I'm just not sure what that looks like. And so this morning, we are going to look at what it means to Sabbath. And this is a little different. A lot of times when we come back the very first week of the fall, uh, we talk about vision and we talk about all the things that we're doing. And that's important. We're going to get to some of those things next time. But we think that this actually is part of the vision of our community right now, that we need to learn how to enter into healthy rhythms, activity and rest, activity and rest. And so when we look at this rhythm, it's all around us. One thing that's very important for us to understand is as we understand what the Hebrew word of the day, what a day looks like in Hebrew culture, is the day begins at night. And so as you're ready for the new day to dawn, guess what? You're getting ready for bed. That's very different for us, right? Day starts with that ridiculously obnoxious alarm on your iPhone or your phone or your device. Maybe some of you still use old-fashioned alarm clocks. You know, it's usually the smell of coffee is somewhere brewing in the air. Um, You're half asleep, half tired, and you're running out the door to begin your very busy day. And that forms and shapes us in ways. But when I think about the way the Hebrew culture looks at day and night and the rhythms of life, it begins at night. It begins in rest. It begins in sleep. And I think about how that would shape us. If I started to think of my day starts in the evening, what I actually begin to learn is that God is at work first and foremost before I am at work. That the moment I lay my eyes and my eyes close and I am asleep, it's the start of the day, and God is at work sustaining me through, bringing me, to the, bringing me to the day when I can get up and work. Because here's the thing, folks, I do not want to demonize work. I think work's important, but I think we are part of a culture that has made work an idol, and we're not really sure how to rest. And so I think it might be wise if we begin to think about the ways that God talks about rest and Sabbath. And so what does Sabbath mean? Uh, Eugene Peterson says, to quit, stop, to take a break. Um, the word itself has nothing devout or holy in it. It is a word about time, denoting the, the non-use of it, what we really call wasting time in our culture. Uncluttered time and space to distance ourselves from the frenzy of our own activities so we can see what God has been and is doing And what, I, what I've understood as I've studied through this passage and looked through some of the things we're going to look at today is out of the Ten Commandments, Sabbath is the most neglected of the commandments in our culture, in our day and space and time. And most of us would think it would be other things like taking the Lord's name in vain, which happens, adultery, which happens, murder, which happens. But the truth is, Sabbath keeping 
is an art that we have really lost and is a commandment that for some reason we find it okay to give permission for people that we love and that love Jesus to continue to be workaholics. And so I want us to take a look at the scripture in which we're going to be looking at today. Uh, It's up on the screen. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus 20, uh, verses 8 through 11. And I want us to uh, just, if you got your Bible, some of you need to read that as you look at it. Others can pay attention up here. And let me read it aloud. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. You are God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that was in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. I want you to hold that spot, and I want you to flip over to, the, uh, to this next passage we're going to look at. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. So one thing I just want to let us know, Exodus is when God gives the law the first time. And what we just read is the first, the, the first attempt at Sabbath, okay, or, the, or Sabbath number one. Now we look at Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15, as he's recounting the law again. This is the second understanding of what the Sabbath is. And let me read it aloud. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns so that your male and female slave may have rest as well or rest as you. Remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So we have another slide with these next to each other, and I want us to take a look at something here. There's a difference in the two, correct? They sound similar, but there's, there's a theological, which means God's telling us something important about the two ways we are to look at what Sabbath actually is and what it does. When we look at this first side, what we understand is the two things about Sabbath is on the Exodus side, Sabbath is part of the created order. It's this creative work. It's the creative work of God and that we rest from the creative work. When we look at this side, the Deuteronomy part, the other, the other side to Sabbath that we are reminded of, that we're taught about, that we have to hold in balance, is the redemptive work of God. So one side, creative order, creative work of God. The other side to our Sabbath coin is that it is redemptive in its nature. And so as we think about the implications of that, we have to take one step back and we have to, we have to understand the exodus. So a great Bob Marley song, yes, but there's a big story behind not the song, but the story within our scriptures. That's the second book of the Bible known as Exodus. And so a little bit of the backstory. Exodus is God's people. It's a story about how they are entrapped in slavery for 400 years. They move into Egypt because there's a, there's a drought and there's a famine and things aren't going well. Uh, that's the end of Genesis. And then uh, the, the, the guy, Joseph, who was really well-loved and well standard within the culture, 
the guy that knew him, he passed away. And slowly, the people of Israel who had great uh, love and respect within the land of Egypt became slaves. And so 400 years go by, and so that's a lot of generations. Our country's not even 400 years old, so I think it's hard for us to really understand what that means. So many generations live and die under slavery. And the scripture says that God heard the cry of his people, he heard the cry of Israel, and he decided to act. And so what God does is he comes, and and there's a ton of stuff to unpack in it, so I'm going to make it real short and simple. He comes and he rescues his people. He pulls them out of the land of slavery, and he pulls them into the wilderness to begin to teach them. Now, ultimately to lead them into Israel, into the promised land, into a new life and a new place, which was ultimately back to the original promise that God made to Abraham. And so what we have to understand about the Exodus is that uh, we see this very big thing happen. God gives Israel the law. And what we need to understand about the law, when I, when I say the law... Many of us, uh, if we grew up in, in a little more conservative church background that like thing goes up our spine and we have pictures of like how long our hair is supposed to be and kept and unkept beards. Um, you know, we have pictures of, you know, in our brain of girls can only wear dresses and they have to be below the ankle tripping over. Uh, guys have to wear dress pants, suits and ties to church on Sunday. We have this really weird thing or we grew up in places where, where we've heard a lot. The law is bad. The law was so not good. But we need to understand, when the law is given to a group of slaves who have no, their their identity is rooted in production, widgets per hour, how much they, uh, and their value is is in how many bricks that they made that day. They have no identity, their identity is in what they do. Not who they are. And so when God gives the law to the people of Israel, it's actually this thing saying, this is what culture looks like. This is what God honoring culture is supposed to be. I've called you to be my people and now I'm giving you this law. And part of this law is the Sabbath. And we have to understand this is probably one of the most difficult, beautiful, amazing gift that God gave his people. That God commanded his people to do. Because for every day of their life, from the morning to the evening, from sun up to sundown, Monday through Sunday, they were working, making bricks outside. So this idea of rest is nothing in their minds. And we have to understand that when you begin to do something every day of your life, it doesn't just become something you do. It actually defines you. Right? We think about people, normally when you meet someone, oh, hi, my name's Doug, you know, oh, hi, Peter, what's, you know, what do you do? That's actually a question about identity. And so we end up actually telling people what we do is more important than who we are. And so when you think about a slave culture, they don't have rest. When God gives them rest, this is a huge, huge deal. And this is probably really uncomfortable for a lot of folks because for so long they've been known as people who have been production, widgets per hours. Uh, This is what we are called to do. And God changes, he changes the culture of a people that have no culture. He gives them a culture. And this is brilliant and beautiful and so stinking subversive, it's fantastic. And so summed up, we have to understand that the Sabbath 
And the significance of the Exodus is that it goes against slavery. It goes against production. It goes against being known by what you do. And it goes against the value in what you produce. And God rescues this slave nation out of Egypt and he gives them this law which rewires them. It gives them identity. It's like a marriage covenant. And it includes everything. I am so blown away by this, by the Deuteronomy passage, the yellow part. Remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Look at the sentence right before that. The last part. So that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. This is not just something that's for the rich and famous in Israel. This is something for all of Israel. This is something for all the animals. And I love how someone picked that up. They work hard and they even the animals are taking rest. Because there's something about the two-count rhythm of life that is built into the DNA of all that's around us. And God is trying to wake us up to the reality of what that is. So summed up, God, through the law, is telling the people who they are, who they were created to be. Taking rest is never heard of in slavery. And so God, in his brilliance, asks his people to do nothing. God asks his people to do nothing. And so I was thinking, like, what kind of God gives people the day off? And I'll tell you what kind of God. I think it's the next slide. That kind of God gives the people a day off. And most of us are shuddering right now because we're thinking, oh, you brought it up. Now I want it even more. Um, but it's the truth. We, we really find ourselves thinking there's not a lot of places within our culture where people actually enter into a day of rest. And how many of you have ever been on vacation? Most of us, right? We've all once or twice, maybe. How many of you found that like your first three days you feel crazy? Like you're, you're just trying to unwind and, and wrap your head around the fact that I don't have to produce right now. How many, has anyone ever felt that besides me? Thank you. Why do you think that is? Because we, we struggle with being people that actually live to the two-count rhythm of life. To the work and the rest and the work and the rest. Now here, please, this is not meant to be um, one of those things where I'm going to try to guilt all of you into taking all this time off, okay? This is, don't, don't quit your job. Make sure I'm, I'm telling you this. It's too stressful. I need to quit it. But this is also saying your identity is not in what you do. Your identity is who Jesus is and what he's called you to be. And so one of the things that we have to understand is that with, with a place like Chick-fil-A, if we were to drive down Main Street 50 years ago, there'd be nothing going on. The stores would be closed. And some of us actually remember those days, right? Yeah. I don't, unfortunately. I wish I did. Um, but to think about the entire town shuts down for a day to say it's time to rest. And what amazes me about... We can just leave this stuff here for the rest. This is like perfect. Um, what amazes me is, and you know, we have, we have a guy who's an owner operator. He's sitting in the back, Sam. He does so much for our community. I love him and he's probably so upset that I'm talking about him right now. But what I appreciate is Sam tells me, it's, when we think about the logic, right? The logic of closing down a restaurant on the day when everyone's off of work is stupid. 
Like, let's be honest and think about it. Like, that's stupid. That's like, okay, you can make the most amount of money on this day. Good, yeah, take off. That's, that's really intelligent. But what I love to hear is how there's something, there's some kind of magic that's happening at these restaurants. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, if you've ever had a chance to go to Sam's restaurant, there's something about the people that work there. They're honored. They're not just... Uh, they're not just a restaurant employee. They're not just someone who stands behind a cash register. But they have value because they're allowed to take a day of rest. And I love it. Single moms, moms, dads, you know, divorced parents, kids, teenagers. There's this beautiful thing that they start to learn as they enter into a time to rest. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, knowing most of you, I've heard some of you say this maybe once in your life. Not, not often. But you're busy. Some of you have mentioned that to me in passing, but I get that. And, that, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, we all are busy, every single one of us. For some reason, we, we, we love to clutter our lives with so much activity that we have forgotten how to rest. And we are quickly known by what we produce instead of who we are. And the question that is asked mostly, as I said earlier, when you meet someone is, so what do you do? My friends, we have to begin to rewire our brains to ask people about who they are and find out what things they get to do much later within the conversation. And so when we think about how we got to this place, um, we as a culture are fixated on production and success. And let's be honest, that probably includes almost every single one of us in this room, correct? Correct. We have this drive to want to be successful, to want to produce. And, and that's not necessary. That's not a bad thing. But when that becomes the driving force of your life, this can become very, very unhealthy. A lot of us have bought into the lie that if I am busy, I am important. And our pride needs to actually die. Busyness doesn't equal more important. Uh, a lot of these ideas feed into the psychology of our theology. Uh, if my boss likes me because I work so much, then God will probably like me if I do a lot more spiritual things. And I want to remind us that Jesus plus you fill in the blank, it always equals slavery. The minute that we add anything to this equation... So that we can be saved or in right standing or that God will love us more. We've completely missed the point and the power of the gospel. Completely. And so God loves us for who we are, not what we do. But I want to make sure that we also recognize that this doesn't give us freedom to do whatever the heck we want to do. When we recognize that a God who loves us, that believing in Jesus, just loving Him alone, that He invites us into new rhythms. He invites us back into the rhythm of our created order of activity and rest and activity and rest. And so the quicker we realize this point, that Jesus plus everything equals slavery, is the quicker Sabbath will be a place in time for rest and redemption. This is why I've heard that retirement is so difficult for people. Because for 40 years, you're known by the thing that you do. And then the minute you stop doing it, you're trying to figure out who you are. 
And so my brothers and sisters in our community who are retired, like I, I've, I've been hearing stories like that. And I want to make sure that you know that this is a community that you can retire in. And we're not just going to pretend like life is the best. And now you can play golf every day and everything's beautiful. But you're actually entering into a season of wrestling, of recognizing who you are and where your value comes from. Because we've learned for so many years in our life that our value comes from what we do and what we've been able to create. And it's an identity issue. And I recognize that retirement is an identity shifting and shaping thing. That our God calls us into that. And he's longing to see the ways in which we begin to have our identity shaped by him. And so what I want us to do is something very practical. Um, I, uh, I want us to take out your cell phone. You probably never hear this within church. Uh, take out your cell phone. <laughs> Um, yeah. Excellent. For those that left in the car, you get bonus points. If somehow there's cupcakes in the back, uh, some gold stars we can put on your chest to say, I did a very spiritual act this morning. Very spiritual. Very spiritual. Very spiritual. Right. But I think if we take it out and we opened up our calendar app, here's my question. Where in your calendar is the word Rest. Take a minute, right, so thank you, thank you for being honest, even though you left it in the car, you know that, that's beautiful, but seriously, take a look at your calendar, say, where in my calendar is the four-letter word that I think has become a curse word, where is the word R-E-S-T, and I know some of the moms are thinking, I'm going to come up there and slap you, because if you hung out with my kids for more than five minutes, you would know that there's no such thing as rest, I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, and so it's hard because as we look at our calendars, we actually say, whoa, there's really no place in here that I really have as rest. Um, you know, I've got soccer practice at four. Um, I, I have, you know, a work party. You know, we've got something going on, you know, happy hour every Thursday night. We've got all these things. We have all this activity. We just keep filling up and filling up. And if the boss needs to work late, you know, I, I can use these four days to work late. But for some reason, we'll fill up our life with all the busy stuff, but we won't begin to put non-negotiable places in there. And my friends, do we understand that? I think maybe what God is saying is this is sin. When we begin to say, my busyness is God, that shapes us so deeply at the core of who we are. When we are active with every single thing that we do, and we do not learn to rest, we miss out on that two-count rhythm, on that beat, that rest, the active, the activity, and the rest, and the active, rest, active, rest. And our identities begin to get so mixed up and it's subtle it's not big and the funny part is we as a church probably have been part of keeping you busy so everyone's like i'm never coming back to set up again you know good luck tearing that thing down after church because i'm resting now i don't want to jump there yet but we have to understand that this this idea of work and rest is a spiritual rhythm and we have to be able to find places to rest. I want us to listen to what Jesus says about rest. Um, it's, it's, the, it's from the message. And it's Matthew 28, 30. Uh, for those of you that are, rec- that are familiar with this passage, uh, you, uh, the other versions and translations talk about easy and heavy yoke. Not egg yoke, um, but something that animals carry on their shoulders to plow. So listen to this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If I can think of a man who should have been the most busiest man in the universe, it was Jesus. The Son of God shows up to earth and you wait, you know, as if I was going to write out his plan, day one, start witnessing to all the animals because your parents don't understand you yet. So start working there, like hang out with the dogs and the cats and the sheep and all those things. Make sure that they know. When you're, when you're a toddler, start your Sunday school campaign, man. Go from town to town, gather all the kids, kind of like Lord of the Flies, but in a good way. So let's really take care of them. When I become a teenager, we'll skip those years. But when I get past the teenage years, when I begin to become an adult, and I don't mean that. I love teenagers, just so y'all, where are my teenagers at? I love you. Um, but when we get into the adult years then you've got so much work to do because there's broken marriages and there's broken people and, you know, your coworkers and all these other things. But what do we see Jesus do? He waits till he's 30. Man, if I waited to start life until I was 30, I would not be good. I probably wouldn't be married. Um, and there'd probably be a whole bunch of other things. I'd probably be living, I don't know, in a box somewhere or just not in a healthy place. But Jesus rests, he waits, he does life. Ministry starts at 30. Think about the rhythms we see Jesus do, right? Heals all these people and goes, I'm going to go on a prayer retreat with my buddies. Uh, I'll be back in a little bit. And he retreats. And it's like, you see Jesus do this amazing activity. And then what does he do? He rests. He, he, he retreats. He goes back. He says, ah, it's time to be like Jesus. And if we talk about discipleship being the most important thing that we bet the entire farm of this church, we bet our church on. We are not a healthy church unless we're discipling people well. And we don't teach you all how to rest and the importance of resting. We have failed. Because if, if discipleship is about becoming like Jesus, then dang it, we, never, we better start learning how to rest. And how to do it in a way that honors God. But I love how this teaches us, this passage, this Jesus, he teaches us so much about the gospel. Because what he says is that, I love you enough that when you rest, you don't have to worry. I'll teach you, I'll teach you life, I'll teach you what it looks like. And this, this, this is amazing to me. Uh, the first time I, I heard this was, uh, we had a rap guy a few years ago named Jason Sheffield, and it was like my first week on rap. And he wrote me this little three by five card with this verse on it. He's like, dude, just memorize this. So you'll change your life. And it did. It did. Now, Sabbath is still difficult. I'm not great at it. But you know what? It's, some of you call me on Fridays and you're like, man, this guy's such a bum. He never picks up. Yeah, it's my Sabbath. Like, I have this weird practice where I don't use my phone on Sabbath. Like, it just sits somewhere. And it's weird. It's still there the next day. I, I mean, I'm shocked. And there's messages on it and text messages and different things like that. But for some reason, I found that I can't disconnect. I can't enter into rest until I lay down some of my cultural items. As we talked about a few weeks ago, what Sabbath does is it allows us to pay attention. A guy named Walter Brueggemann wrote this really tiny book. But it's really powerful. It's called Sabbath as an Act of Resistance. And in, in this first couple of chapters, he says uh, it's an act of resistance and it's also an alternative. 
Because here's the thing. What would it look like if we became people who actually rested? Think about the ways we'd be able to be more intentional with our neighbors. Think about the kind of life that you would begin to show people around you. Yeah, oh man, I got all these soccer play, all these things, and I'm not sure what to do, and there's this <coughs> party I have to go to, and blah, 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 and you're just like, yeah, I don't know, we're just kind of hanging out today. You want to come? It will begin to change the people around you. Um, it, and it's weird too, right? Uh, for those of you that have ever lived very busy lives, I was just talking to Ken about this the other day, he said, we were out six, seven days a week. And then we stopped, and it was the weirdest thing we've ever done in our life. But slowly but surely, we started to see how unhealthy that was. And we started to see this healthy rhythm that God was inviting us into. This is really bad grammar, but this is what I really want to say. Who you be and what you do are two completely different things. Work is important and spiritual, but also rest is too. And so what do we do with this? So here's my takeaways for this morning. And this is brutally practical. So I apologize because I feel like it should be really cool and fruity but, and, and just beautiful, but it's not. It's just brutally practical. I want you to look at your schedules. I want you to carve out 24, a whole 24 hours to rest. And the question to ask is this. And this is how we know we're resting. When we ask the question, what gives us life? What is that thing? Now, this is different. If you're a family um, and you ask the question, what gives me life? And you say golf and you're out by yourself for the next eight hours while, you're, while your family's home doing this thing, that's unhealthy. Uh, if you have a roommate, uh, if, if you live by yourself and if you're single, these questions apply to all of us. Where's the 24-hour mark in my week that is devoted to rest? That is devoted to non-production, non-activity. So some of you are asking, what if I have kids? Um, here's some really practical things. And some of you know, moms, dads, you may really laugh at me. Um, you don't need to clean your room, kids, on Sabbath. So my kids that are here, Caleb, you heard that. Um, yeah, he's like, yeah. Ella's in the back writing that note down. No need to clean my room. Um, and no homework on Sabbath. So obviously it can't be like Monday or Tuesday, right? Like Friday, Saturday. But think about that. Like kids, this is something that you should be looking forward to as well. But that's the thing. We have to create a culture within our homes where this is a special day. Uh, another thing, uh, make meals together. Make meals together. In- invite families over. Invite friends over. Invite your coworkers over just to enter into that space of rest and non-activity. Uh, make the day special. So that your kids will look forward to it. Another thing, uh, learn to unplug. Turn off the phone. Don't check email. Trust Jesus. Don't go shopping or consuming. Now, spirit of the law, not letter of the law. If you need to get milk, you can get milk, okay? I'm not saying you just, you know, we completely shut down and don't do anything. But I'm saying, don't make it, oh, we're going to have this big shopping trip. Like, that may give you life, but imagine... The, the life that that actually takes away from the people that you're consuming all the goods from. Okay, so now we're getting into second level thinking, which I, I can't fully get there today. Um, third thing, play and pray. Uh, those that work with their hands, sometimes they need to Sabbath with their minds. Those that work with their minds, it's really good to Sabbath with their hands. Like some of you, this is a great Sabbath practice. Uh, go on a walk. 
And some of you are like, and? Yeah, just go on a walk. Like, that's it. Like, do that. Try that. Not, not all day. Just like take a walk. You know, take it's time to be quiet and alone. And pray. Sometimes it's really good. There's this great prayer um, by Ignatius called the Ignatius Examine Prayer. I'll have it in, in, um, in the weekly email so you can check out. But it's just simply this. Stop, look, and listen. So you stop on, on, your, on your Sabbath day, on your day of rest, and you just say, God, where have you been at work all week? Where have I resisted you? What things do I need to celebrate? What things really hurt me? You know, and, and you just listen. You just listen. What's God up to? And that's it. You just stop and you actually take account of what's going on. Back to those two words. You pay attention to what God is up to and what he's doing. Some of you are probably asking the question, what if I work on Sunday? Hey, that's okay. The cool part is the Sabbath doesn't have to be Sunday. It can be Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, Thursday or Friday or Saturday. Uh, one of my professors, a guy named Dan Bruner, um, he had this great chart um, and it was just all these blocks and each block had three, each day had three blocks, morning, afternoon, nighttime. And he said, all you have to do is make sure you have three blocks in a row. Like tic-tac-toe. You can do X's or O's. I don't care. But I love that idea. He said, so maybe maybe you can't do an, a whole day. Maybe you can do Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and then you have to get back to work Friday evening. I thought that was so freeing. Like, brutally practical, right? Very simple. So where are the three blocks you can line up with, with, with your life? And, and, ha- and how do you see those things begin to happen? Some of you are saying, dude, I'm a mom. Um... This concept of rest is so beyond my capability. And so that's where I want to say uh, husbands, friends, people without children, our role is to continue to help bless and love our moms, help them find seasons and places to rest. Because sometimes it's beautiful to be known as a mom, and that's a very important part of who we are uh, as women, but that also doesn't, that's not your identity. You're a person. You're, you're one of God's people. And so, husbands, sometimes it's really good on those days when you're off to just have the kids for a few hours because you know what? It's important for you to be present in that or do it together or figure out a season where you can say, you know, spouse, you can just relax. And not just moms, dads that are stay-at-home dads as well. We have to figure out ways to help rest. But that's why God acts in two ways, both creatively and redemptively. So we can actually access this creative God to figure out creative ways to help our spouse rest. And here's the thing, my friends that are single in this community, um, it's difficult because you may not feel like you have the ability to really rest because you've just packed your life with so many different things. So I'll encourage you, this is a practice that, that God is calling you to enter into as well. And help, help us, help me to figure out what that looks like. But it's important that all of us, all of us, from the kids to the retired folks, figure out how do we enter into this two-part rhythm of rest and activity. Here's a really practical thing that I might get stoned for, uh, but don't bow to the idol of the NFL watching every Sunday and Monday. I know the Eagles have a huge game on tomorrow. That's great. Guess what? They'll have a huge game next week too. Uh, And probably the week after that. I'm not sure when their bye week is, but you could probably take off that one at least. But what, what if we actually became people that were present in the moment with the people when we're resting together. And there's nothing wrong with throwing in a movie. There's nothing wrong with hanging out and to be present. But what if instead of being uh, from three to seven, I don't want any kids to bother me because I'm watching the game. What if instead we said, 
Let's have one family over each time. I cannot, I'm not allowed to watch a football game unless we have someone over to watch it with. And what if we really make that halftime and, and just the whole time a time to connect and be present with people? Like imagine the redemptive work that God could potentially do in that. And I love football. Just want to let, let that be known. Um, here's a good question that was from Andy Stanley. And so uh, this is a great question to ask your friends, uh, your spouses, your coworkers, people that know you the best. What is one thing about my schedule or how I spend my time that you would change if you could? If you have something to write down with, please write that somewhere. Please just take a moment. It's not that long. But I love this question. Because it's important, it's an important practical question for us to answer. What is one thing about my schedule or how I spend my time that you would change if you could? And so here's, here's the big takeaway, my friends. God loves us. Jesus died for us. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are. That he invites us into this relationship where we're no longer known by all the things that we produce and we create, although those are good and holy and sacred, but he also invites us into a space of rest and restoration and redemptive work. I love the fact that as I fall asleep that God's grace is sufficient and watches me through the, my, my nighttime. And that should shape me, that God is active and present in the midst of my inactivity so when we think about that, we let that sit in, that God is present and active when I am inactive. That's Sabbath. Sabbath is the day that does take planning. We have to work at learning how to do this. And I wonder if Israel, the first couple times they, they Sabbath together, if it felt really weird. You know, like, you ever have that day when, when, when you're supposed to be, like, a lot of people say this at church, like, man, it was so weird, like, I didn't come to church today, and... It was awesome. Like it was so cool. I like sat, like slept in, and someone called it the Bedside Baptist Church. I can't remember who that was, but I thought that was great. Um, and it would just, it just felt so different. But then you hear him talk, and it's like if it goes a few weeks, it just begins to feel weird, right? And so when we begin a new practice, it probably starts with a lot of excitement, and then about halfway through it, the temptation for us to run back and to be busy is going to be really, really strong. And that's where we need to invite other people into that process. Say, help me. I, I am trying to do this resting thing well, and I am failing, and I need prayer, and I need help. So Renew and friends of Renew that are here, um, this is not a place to guilt you into resting. I recognize that some of you actually have extremely busy jobs where you, you are pulled in a hundred different directions, and I grieve with you. But I get the sense... That if we learn to trust God with our time and even with our rest, that God is going to do something in the midst of all of that. That he's going to honor that, that place that we've said we've made this day a little different and set apart because we know that we need to enter into a season of rest. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. And I, I'm reminded by... by the passage that we read in the message, that you, you don't design us to go at extremely fast speeds. That we haven't been designed 
to work for weeks and weeks and weeks on end without a break. That you've actually designed our life and, and, and the world around us in a two-part rhythm of activity and rest, activity and rest. And God, for some of us, that is so far beyond our minds, our comprehensions, our thoughts. For some of us, we hear that and it, it, it makes us angry because we feel like we can't get out of this trap. For some of us, we hear and we're, we just say, yes, this, just, this is so good, that's what I need. So Jesus, I pray that wherever we are in this conversation about Sabbath and being a people that pay attention and that rest and that trust in you in the midst of our rest as well as of our activity, that you would speak to us. And God, that you would give us the courage to be obedient in the ways that you've called us to act. So Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for our children and the blessings that they are, and we thank you for the ways in which you're shaping us as a community. May we be a people that are accused of living life to the two-count rhythm that you've called us to, of activity and rest. In your name we pray. Amen.